Experiment 301 is a proud property of the PG Content Factory, a subsidiary of Kevin Kadeem Pierce's Excellence Enterprises. Welcome guys, episode three of Experiment 301. We've made it through the first week. Give it up for us, give it up for you. If you listen to all three episodes, comment, rate, subscribe. We're available on all platforms now. Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Apple, Google, and all the other alias podcast apps in between. You can catch all the clips on the Twitters and the IGs and the Snapchats. And it was supposed to be on TikTok, but TikTok doesn't seem to like black people too much. So, you know, to, you know, we, we ain't including them in the mission. Not everyone can get on this rock shit, people. Only built for certain people that are down for the culture. And if you're not, I don't know what to tell you. You just can't get on to it. In fact, if you're not down for the culture, go ahead and finish listening to this. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Now, for my favorite part of the episode, Black Excellence is going to the smartest man in the room this week, Mr. Colin Kaepernick. Boy, I wish y'all, man, to all the people that didn't like Colin Kaepernick, I bet y'all wish we was kneeling now, huh? I bet all week long. I wish y'all, I bet y'all were just like, man, that Colin guy had a point. I hope at least once. Y'all were like, okay, because a lot of y'all are starting to come to the realization of all the things that this man protested and lost his career over. We're right. He was right the whole time. And you know why you didn't know he was right? Because instead of debating the facts of his issue, y'all were too busy saying he was disrespecting the troops and now's not the time and the protest makes me uncomfortable, yada, yada, yada. Guess what? Protests aren't supposed to make you uncomfortable. Protests are meant to break the status quo, thus making people who the status quo benefits whites <clears throat> uncomfortable in the process. Thus, we have resistance. Get it now? Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the anthem. Matter of fact, he wasn't even kneeling at first, right? During the preseason, he was just sitting when the anthem was playing, minding his business, sitting on the bench. The literal definition of doing nothing. He didn't draw attention to himself. He didn't curse out nobody on the flag. He sat on the bench by his lonesome, didn't say anything. And so one faithful day in media day, and a reporter, if you can call him that, decided to ask him, hey, my guy, uh, we saw you were sitting down during the anthem. You, what's going on? Well, how us about that? To which Colin said, hey man, America has failed black people or something to that extent. Oh, the criminal justice system has failed black people because far too many times we have seen our brothers and sisters slain on camera, executed on camera, and there's been no justice handed out. I think I read a stat that said the last 493 cops who killed unarmed black men did less jail time combined than Michael Vick did for having a hand in killing some dogs. Exactly. Crazy, right? But anyways... Back to my man, Colin Kaepernick. He's the smartest man in the room this week. And everyone's, I think somebody said he should sign some Minnesota Vikings. At this point, don't sign him for a novelty act because we all know that his play is not the reason he wasn't on a team. We knew that for years, so don't insult us and don't try to agree with him now because it's trendy. That's corny. And I hope he doesn't accept it on the way because he's doing way more as a freedom fighter outside the system than I think he ever could have as a part of the system of the NFL. You see how they restrict people now and keep them from talking about stuff. I think everyone outside of Kenny Stills 
who was kneeling during that time, Arian Foster, and some other uh, Dolphins team. I think all of them are out of the league. Like, they did it little by little. Everyone thinks it was just Colin, but nah. Eric Reed, I don't think he resigned with the Panthers either. Y'all got to look at these things, people. The NFL is trying to get people out of here. But anyways, that's Black Excellence. Colin Kaepernick, thank you for all that you've done, Mr. Freedom Fighter. You will be going on this wall somewhere. You and uh, Louis Farrakhan are next. Y'all the next additions. I've just been lazy as far as getting uh, things to put on the wall. Oh, yeah, and I also, I got a Sierra Leone flag coming that way, and I got a Maryland flag going that way. So the wall is going to be all pretty. Hopefully, by the time I start shooting again, the league will be yours. Uh, for those that don't know, I banked the first 27 podcasts. Not that they're all going to come out in uh, 27 order if I record one in the near future that I think is just better than the first 27 that is going to come out. But, um, yeah, I banked the first 27. So that's why you see I'm here. Then it switches to the Skype. And yeah, y'all y'all know how the editing movie magic works. So, yeah, bank the first 27. And then I decided I'm going to take this week off, premiere week, from recording because I recorded 27 podcasts in a week. That's a lot of podcasts, people. It's a lot going on. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to start recording again June 8th. So while next week's podcasts are dropping, fingers crossed I'm done editing them by the time uh, June 8th comes here. It's Tuesday of the week before now. So hopefully I've stopped being lazy and I can actually get all this done. So next week I can just record, record, record. I already have a couple guests lined up for next week. I really want to focus on black business owners. So if you're listening to this, and you know someone who's a black business owner, preferably from or operating in the DMV. Doesn't have to be, but it helps. It is called Experiment 301, you know? Helps to have people either from or in the 301, kind of a point. So direct them to me. Um, I'm at brotherbeloved underscore on Twitter and Instagram. Also, PG Content Factory on Instagram. Follow that page, please. And without further ado, let's get into my brother, Daniel Williams. Daniel Williams is originally from South Jersey. He's a football player, another quarterback. We went real football heavy this week. I know uh, some people were accustomed to listening to me on the opening kickoff podcast. So I thought starting with people that I encountered on my football journey is probably the best way to go for uh, week one, get people acclimated. Don't worry, this is not a sports podcast. I do not plan on talking about sports much. I know we did a little ripping of the NFL earlier, but that's not the point of this. The point of this is to... Hoist people that I think are great that either are from here or have come through here. I mean, that does come through here. I don't leave Maryland much, and they met me and so on this podcast. So, you know, that's usually how it goes. So, Daniel Williams, South Jerseyan, Stevenson University graduate, two degrees, not one, two. Also, Super Bowl winning assistant coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. Rookie year as a coach. Got to be the assistant to Eric, uh, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive assistant. And he got to win a champ. He was on that Patrick Mahomes Chiefs championship, man. And, you know, we're really proud of him. There's only one problem with this podcast. There is no video because Dan, who is, literally has FaceTime and Skype meetings all week long, couldn't get his damn Skype to work for us to get the video going. I love Dan to death, but he just wasn't able to get do this one thing for me to get it done. So we ended up just doing a FaceTime call. And I just recorded the audio and backup. The backup audio, again, is a little rough. Again, bear with me. I'm bad at editing. One day I won't be. But for this second, we have to bear with me, people. So this is the last time you're going to see my beautiful face. You're going to see the Experiment 301 logo after this if you are watching it. If you're not watching it, you're just listening. You do not care. And you just want me to stop talking so we'll get to the interview. So I'll do that. This is Experiment 301.
The Experiment 301 podcast is proudly sponsored by the DMV Phone Plug and Exclusive Tech Repairs. It specializes in iPhone screen repairs and luxury cases. CEO Jose Exclusive is a 24-year-old paint brush, a love knot, and a technology expert. He's an authorized telecommunications retailer and a business licensed professional. He's bilingual, speaks both English and Spanish, and as reliable as they come. Sales and discounts include all repairs come with a complimentary screen protector and discounts on all cases. And on top of that, all repairs are very reasonable. Located at 11262 Georgia Avenue, Silver Spring, Maryland, 20902. All repairs are by appointment only. Please go to ExclusiveTechRepairs.com for more details. And go ahead and tell them Brother Beloved, a.k.a. Kevin Pierce sent you. So when I have a very special guest with me today. Someone who I consider a brother of mine. And now you know I don't throw that word around loosely. Dan Williams is my guy. Known for a while. Smart as heck. Funny as heck. One of the best football players I've ever played with, too. That's a very short list of, like, maybe five guys that I truly give it up for. Because it's rare as an athlete you can be like, all right, this person's better than me. That person's better than me. This, that, and third. But I got a good five. Hopefully I can get all five on the show that I will definitely look at and be like, nah, you different. Mr. Danny Williams is one of those boys. I'm sorry. Super Bowl champion Daniel Williams has joined the show, as you see him in his uh, KC Cheese regalia. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Hey, brother. It's a pleasure to be on with you, and I'm looking forward to today's show. Perfect, perfect. So, I like to do origin stories. I like to get into people's journeys, how we end up at a certain spot. You, my friend, are probably the most peculiar story to this date. Because not only are you an NFL assistant coach now, you grew up your whole life basically around it. So right. talk about right. when football was introduced into your life as a whole. So, first off, I got to tell my family. Um, my dad coached football for 40-plus seasons, uh, high school, college, and pros. Started out as a coach at Compton High School and worked his way from there to UCLA worked to Washington State, Arizona, and then Philadelphia. So that's Philadelphia in nineteen ninety four. Were you new okay, so you weren't born yet? No, I wasn't born yet. Okay, so okay, okay. I was born in ninety six, so all I've known is NFL. That's all I know. My brothers and sisters, they have different take on life. They've seen college, they've seen high school coach dad, so it's different. So that's where football is instilled in me is from my father. And then I didn't start playing until I got to my eighth grade year of high school. I played basketball and baseball for the most part as a young child. My mom was always scared of having a bad coach in my life who would teach me the proper fundamentals of tackling or how to be a full involved athlete. Like, so, so, well, first of all, mom clearly didn't know that you wouldn't be doing any way, shape, or form of tackling throughout the course of your career. First very true. Mom very gave you way too much credit. Love you, Mama Williams. But sheesh. <laughs> so very, very bad. <laughs> I've seen this. I've, no offense, my brother, but I've seen you try to tackle. That's not really, it's not your thing. It's not your thing. It ain't pretty, bro. It ain't pretty at all. All right, at least you're honest about it. At least you're honest about it. Absolutely. So, didn't play until eighth grade. Went to Timber Creek High School, New Jersey. Didn't actually. South Jersey? Yes, yeah, South Jersey. South there's Jersey. Go. There's two different parts. That's what's not confused the two. It's north and south. There's no central. 1,000%. 1,000%. I got a couple South Jersey folk on my podcast. I got to get some little Jersey folks here to uh, even it out. I'm starting to lean a little too bit too heavy towards y'all. Hey, look, I would, I would say it's the better part of the state, but that's just my opinion. You're biased. So. Oh, of course. 
I would agree too. That's where, little, that's where my little sister lives, and it's closer to all the Philly stuff I want to go to. But I'm biased. See, so. and like New York, New York is too much, and all of North Jersey is all fake New York people. South Pretty Jersey, much. you've got real New Jerseyans, real New Jerseyans out there. Pretty so, much. but went to Timber Creek, didn't get playing time until my junior year. Actually, came off the bench multiple times in that season, and then finally got the starting job around homecoming. And from there, it was a year and a half of. I would say pure success. I think I went 17-6. and six. West State Championship was a runner-up my senior year and uh, had a lot, of, a lot of fun and a lot of memories with those guys that I'll cherish forever. So uh, when you say you didn't get on the field to your junior year, to a lot of people, yes. that's an indictment on them. But for you, your school was a football factor. Like, I feel like yes. you have to yes. throw the disclaimer out there. Like, I wasn't sitting behind Joe Schmo over here. I was sitting, no. where did the quarterback you sat behind your junior year end up going to college? So, I'll even take it back a year before. My sophomore year, we went 12-0. A guy by the name of Calvin Lowe was our starting quarterback. Dude didn't have the grades to play at a high-level Division One school. But, as far as quarterbacks go, he was top tier bar none. So, sat behind him, and obviously, we won the championship, 12-0. Like, you, that's the only time we've been 12-0 in my entire school's history. So, like, you can't touch that. Mm-hmm. And I, my, I, I digress. The only time while I was there, we were 12-0. They ended up doing it again after I left, but that's a different story. Okay. Right. That was the first time so, we were error. Yes, in my era, yes, 12-0. Uh-huh. So, the next year, we came into a quarterback battle, and it was myself, my friend of mine named Jagger Green, who ended up playing at FGU, same conference as Stevenson, mm-hmm. and... A guy who played DN at Rutgers. And the three of us, and they didn't really know who was going to be the guy who was going to step up to take the throne and kind of lead this team into the new era that was post undefeated season. So it took some time for myself to grow the confidence in me to be that guy for the team. You know, I'm not the biggest talker. I'm not a rah rah guy I'm trying to go out there and do my job. I'm no, you're a big lead by example. You're a lead by example guy for sure. Exactly. And you've seen that. You've seen yeah, that. Like you've that. For those that don't know, we're going to get there later in the podcast. We were teammates for two years at Stevenson, and Dan's not the, all right, guys, huddle. Ray Lewis, Drew Brees, inspirational speech. He don't go out there. He's going to make all his wide reads. He's going to make sure his receivers are in the right spot. He's going to make sure the protection is the way it needs to be. And he's not going. He's going to make sure all his soldiers are in the right place so when we're ready to battle, we're ready to go. Because the, we, the less we're talking, the more we're thinking, the more we're playing. I think Dan really took that approach to uh, think. There's a lot of your football journey I want to get to that I think makes you a great coach today. But first and foremost, uh, when did quarterbacking start? So quarterbacking started in eighth grade. Okay, so you're a quarterback played. from the yes, rip. From, from the rip. How happy was mom? I was a pitcher. Uh, she was still a little nervous, more so thinking that her baby boy was going to get hurt. That was her biggest, I would say, Proclaimed that she was kind of hesitant on me playing because of the injury factor from concussion that now you see now in 2020 is where it's a lot more bigger issue than it was. Right. Back then, back then they would call you mom soft. Now they just call it smart. Yes, very much so. So injuries were her biggest thing, but I was always a quarterback. I was under play, be in the spotlight, to be that guy who could really rally the troops and get things going. And I played baseball, so I had the arm for it. Absolutely. So you so there's like weird analytics departments that sports teams have. I'm sure being an NFL coach stuff you're familiar where they relate yes, certain things like in basketball if this person was an outfielder they're better at shooting threes or former quarterbacks that are pit, that quarterbacks that are former pitchers may have more miles on their arm. You got to monitor pitch counts and all to all that type of fun stuff. So did you ever get into that uh, pre NFL? Was it any recruiting meetings you're sitting in? 
and a college coach will look at you and be like, all right, so how many games did you pitch? Do you plan on still playing? Like, are there any college coaches that passed on you because you're still planning on playing college? I think it would be the opposite from not a football standpoint, but a baseball standpoint. They kind of wanted me to be focused on what they wanted in being a pitcher and being a starter that it might have deterred them from taking me on as a quarterback as well. All right, uh, but how different is the – I know the mechanic is completely different between throwing a baseball yes. and a football, but how different is retraining the body to go from throwing, let's say, 300 passes a year to about what's a normal pitching season for you? How many pitches do you go through? Uh, if you say, hey, if you go 100 pitches an outing and you start, what, 10 times in a season, that's, about, that's a 1,000 right there, and that's just in-game, so you got to think – I would say closer towards 5,000 pitches probably in a season of just the entire time of practice to games, all that work. Um, but for me, it was always easier to retrain my arm from baseball to football. Going football to baseball was the hard part because it's kind of the cold months in the north, in right. New Jersey. So getting my arm acclimated, doing a lot of long toss, a lot of bullpens, that was always the hard part was those December, January, February, getting back to baseball shape. Okay. The shape. Okay, so do you think you'd be in more better shape for baseball than fo- Damn it, Daniel. The Experiment 301 podcast is proudly sponsored by the DMV Phone Plug and Exclusive Tech Repairs. They specialize in iPhone screen repairs and luxury cases. CEO Jose Exclusive is a 24-year-old paint branch alumni and a technology expert. He's an authorized telecommunications retailer and a business license professional. He's bilingual, speaks both English and Spanish, and as reliable as they come. Sales and discounts include all repairs come with a complimentary screen protector, and discounts on all cases. And on top of that, all repairs are very reasonable. Located at 11262 Georgia Avenue, Silver Spring, Maryland, 20902. All repairs are by appointment only. Please go to ExclusiveTechRepairs.com for more details. And go ahead and tell them Brother Beloved, a.k.a. Kevin Pierce sent you. Gotcha. All right, so we were all in the middle of the training from baseball to football January in those cold months. Right. Uh, so, with, 
those cold months that you kind of get into in the December, January, February, a lot of it is pure long toss, bullpens, and obviously had I played in a warmer climate like Arizona or California, it would have been a much smoother transition. But those cold months are drastic up here. So it was kind of difficult in that aspect. All right, all right, there we go. So I'm trying to think of when you weren't playing in the cold because we're starting in Jersey, you come down to Maryland, and now you're all the way in Missouri. Yep. So, like, you don't like, you must not like warm weather much. You didn't think maybe I should go to L.A., maybe in Atlanta, Florida. You know, it, it, it never became too much of an issue, so I, well, why not just leave it the way it is, you know, just keep, keep doing what I'm doing where I'm at and make it work. There we go. There we go. All right, so can we talk about the recruiting process from high school going into Stevenson? What were the three main schools you were looking at? Like, what did your signing day table look like, hats and all? So the three, three main, main schools I looked at were Westchester College and Westchester University in Pennsylvania. Absolutely. Not too far from where our yes. brother David Miles grew up. Not too far at all. Probably about 10 minutes from David Miles. Um... Stevenson, obviously, is where I attended. And then the third school that I had talked to a good amount was Dell State. So, obviously, all those are three different levels. Yes. I had talked to about a third walk-on. Kind of the same deal with Westchester. I would come in and possibly earn a, earn a scholarship after year one or year two. Mm-hmm. And then Stevenson provided me the opportunity to play both sports and come in and compete right away. And that was one thing that my dad had told me my entire process. He was like, look, you're not going to enjoy yourself if you're sitting on the bench for two years. Very true. Go somewhere where you can have an opportunity to get on the field. You're going to become a better player that you know, needs a better college experience. So in using that knowledge that he provided me, narrowing things down, seems to just seem like the right opportunity for me, especially with the fact that they were all 100% on board with me playing baseball there, which is something that I wanted to do coming out of high school. I wanted to do two sports. There we go. Was it more for the flex or was it more for familiarity? Familiarity. I kind of grew up on that, that schedule of always having a sport and always being athletic and doing what I had to do from school to sports to back at home, so it just made sense for me. So tell me this. Do you feel like you would have won a higher level if you would have focused on one sport, either or? And which so, if so, which one do you think you would have went further in? My, my friends back home and I joke all the time because and I think with baseball I, I definitely believe I could have been a D1 prospect I'm about to say I've seen you play I don't see why not yes uh, I, I have no doubt about it um, being a 5'11 quarterback who doesn't run plus 4'5 or low 4'5 it's hard to be a quarterback in Division one level if you're not that kind of archetype like Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson so I do believe that at the the, the the abilities God blessed me with and being 5'11 and being this person that I am I think baseball had I focused on it more I could have been a one prospect and possibly playing at Major League Sundos you never know you never know that could have been you in the that could have been you in the Kyler Murray spot talking about what Danny Williams did with football you never know you never know alright so we're going to transition to your college career right after the break we'll be right back with more Experiment 301 people And welcome back, beloveds, to another episode of Experiment 301. I still got my brother Dan Williams here. 
Now, from Timber Creek, we make our way over to Stevenson, where he is a two-sport athlete. But for the sake of this podcast, we're going to talk about SU football because he was teammates with none other than your favorite podcast host, Kevin Kadeem Pierce, for the first two years at Stevenson Football. So we're going to talk about going from Timber Creek, where you were the quarterback, you were the man, to now you're in the not one, not two, but three quarterback battle at Stevenson University upon your arrival. Talk to me about that. You know, I, I owe a great deal of respect, and I'm thankful for the time that I spent with both Jeff Fair and Zach Jefferson my freshman year. Those two guys uh, allowed me to learn a lot about not only myself as a quarterback, myself as a person. And I think I grew a lot that freshman year not playing and uh, both getting opportunities on the field to play and failing, you know. Get out there and you have failures as a freshman, it kind of sets you back a little bit. Like, okay, this is college, this is a different ballgame. And mm-hmm. I think that those those times helped me. Because as a teammate of yours, I remember that there was a transfer that came in that we're not going to say his name because I think it's a friendly dude. But not only not only did Dan make him a backup in one sport, he made him his backup in two sports. <laughs> Dan saw the transfer quarterback come in and reacted like everyone offended him. Like, I finally win a starting job. I'm not sure if this was going into the MVP season or after the MVP season. This is going into... This is, this is going into... He, he, he perfect. Got prior, he got there prior, yes, sir. Perfect. That's what I thought. So you can see going into that season that our brother Danny Williams is playing with a little extra this year. He's going to make sure every rep counts. And he did. But before we get to the sophomore season, I have to talk more about the freshman season because... You went through a rare scenario where your offense coordinator switched on you on a dime. And I remember the day in practice where Coach Carell came to all of us and said, Hey, I'm taking a job at I believe it was Shepard, and I'm leaving this, that, and the third. You'll have a new offense coordinator by this day, yada, yada, yada. There were tears. Everyone was emotional. But I could look at your face and tell it was a little differently. And I don't, So talk about losing uh, Coach Carell, your relationship with him that freshman year. So, Coach Corral, and I also mentioned Coach Phil Hamilton. He was our quarterback coach. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to um, Hamilton because he ended up leaving later on. Yes. Yes. So, Corral leaves, I think, it was like midway through spring ball, and it's kind of like a shock. Like, we just went 8-3. and three. We won a bowl game. Best, key, yeah, best season in Stevenson history. Yes. At the time. And for those, those guys who, who have came before us, that was their going out party. The OGs who have been there, Donald Brown. They were resting PCP5. Um, those guys, Scott Lang, Billy Gunther, they brought a tradition that still stands and seems to program history. So we're coming back from that season. You're thinking, okay, we're going we're gonna to continue this success and everybody will be here and we're going to do this together. And then Corral leaves. So it's kind of like a sock. And then it becomes a sock in the face like, well, we're not good enough. Well, were we not what he wanted? And obviously, when you're an 18, 19-year-old kid, you don't understand the business that is college sports yet. At all. You're just like, wow, coach, stupid. So, yeah, at first, it is a lot of anger and a lot of hurt when it, when it first happens. That's a fa- And that's fair. But him going led to, I think, is one of the relationships in your life that helps you a lot, which leads us to Coach Ryan Larson, who came in uh, that sophomore year. And to this day, I don't think I met like, he's human Red Bull. Like, he's always always got the energy, always going. He switched our offense to no huddle for the most part. 
Like, he came in and kicked everything into high gear. So what was the learning curve for his offense? How do you try to adjust it to you? Just talk about the transition from uh, Corral to Larson. So the transition, I think, um, both, both of them are very passionate coaches, guys who really will get in your face if you're not really doing what you need to be doing. And I think what it took for me to really understand about Larson was that the guy you see between the white lines in your face yelling at you, very aggressive, kind of person you'll get in the office. You have to kind of put those two in separate categories and take them for what they are and what you see in that situation. But as I got to know Coach Larson, and build a bond with him, I think I started to understand why he was the way he was. He was in the white lines on from Monday through Saturday and how he coached us to also talk to him outside of football just as a, a leader, someone in my life that I can count on. Absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of count on, uh, we're going to get more into this later, but talk about leaning on him as you transition into your coaching career. What are some tips he gave you? So, so and I'll, uh, go, we'll go back. His first year with us, I tore my ACL the first time. And that year he was like, look, stay, stay, stay around the team, be around these young guys because we had a freshman quarterback at that point in time, and I want you to help out him and go in the offense. And it kind of led me to see that coaching could be a possibility for me because I really did enjoy helping our young quarterback at the time, Bradley Harmon. I enjoyed helping him develop as a person and as a quarterback. And at the end of that season, coach was like, look, you did a great job helping him out. Have you thought about getting your master's degree? And I was, at that point in time, I was 19. We just trying to get out of college as soon as possible and be done with it. But he was like, get your master's degree now because once you get out of college and you get a mortgage and you start to have a family, you're not going to go back to school. So take care of it while you're here at Stevenson. Do the five-year program and just take care of it then. To what you did, and you got your master's degree in? In business communication. Okay. It took me about five years total to get two degrees, yep. There we go. So... He was not only degreed up once, ladies and gentlemen. This is where we hit the black excellence sound effect. And he is degreed twice. Twice. Give it up for Danny Williams, everybody. God damn it. God damn it. Just just strive for excellence all over the world. So him getting you that master's degree sets you up for success at, in a way that you didn't even realize at 19. Like, that's a John Stockton level assist that you don't even realize just fell into your lap. Without a doubt. There we go. So, I want to talk about, before we get into the ACL tears, I want to talk about the MVP season because we were kind of alluding to it before. You get a new yes. offense court. Uh, this is second year of Washington or first year of Washington still? This is second year of Washington. First year only having an entire season to play under him. There we go. So, the first year of having a full season under Larson, learning curves over. You spend the summer, I'm assuming, locked in a room somewhere. Plotting your success with a, with a dartboard with unnamed quarterback X uh, on the board and throwing perfect dimes on the board the entire summer, so that you come into camp. Well, with, I, I, I had the chance that summer to spend at Stevenson uh, working at PMM, which is a uh, janitorial company that works at, at Stevenson. So you on campus the entire break. The carpets. Yes, on campus the entire summer break. Now, this part may be edited out due to NCAA violations, but were you working with Coach Larson during this time? No, I was not. Okay, that's what I thought. So you're on the field, you're running back and forth, you have your playbook from last year, and you know he's not going to change the shit. So you're like, all right, you're just in your bag. You're, are your, is uh, your receivers up there with you? Which receivers were up there with you at the time? Yes, yes. Uh, 
Preston, Preston was with me. Devin Salisbury was with me. Who are your two so, main guys? Who are your two so, main guys? And I'm assuming two of your closest yeah, friends. Yeah, Devin and Preston were the two. Yes. Sorry. So we're going to get. Close friends to this day. I want to get into the receivers because one, they're both characters, and two, they're both <laughs> phenomenal. Fo- they're both phenomenal football players. Two undersized receivers who are just tough as nails, go over the middle, take the hit, can run the whole route tree. Like, we'll get to them in a second. We'll get to them in a second. But talk about going into this MVP year. What's the mindset? game? What's the game where you're like, oh, yeah, we on. <laughs> oh, yeah, we on. It's on this year. <laughs> what was the game that really made the going game? ahead? So it, it kind of came out in game two. We, we go up to Albright in game two, and... It's the first conference game of the season. They had just won the conference championship a year prior. Uh, so you go into the game knowing it's going to be important, high stakes. And first first series, pick six. I'm going to laugh on my right on, on a bootleg, pick six. I'm like, damn, these dudes are nice, bro. Like, what am I going to do? Right. So we're, we're falling through the game, get to about the second quarter, and you kind of just start playing. You kind of just start, you, you start seeing the defense, understanding where your reads are at. And you're not thinking too much about the factors that are affecting your day, but just playing ball. And that's what I kind of knew, like, okay, like, this this, this team is different. I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident in what we're doing. I got a bunch of guys around me that can make plays. And you're not thinking about the extra factors of, oh, this is the defending champion, that conference, all bright team. But this is just we're playing ball on Saturday. Right. We're having fun doing it. Right, right. So at that point, it's like, all right, so the pressure isn't getting to me anymore. We're just balling. And when we're just balling, not a lot of people can hang with me. Exactly. And that's when you finally got into it. All right. And you pretty much that mentality you carried throughout the entire year. Yes. And, and I think as you go throughout the entire season, we only lost one game in conference and made, made the playoffs that year. I think we had so much fun in practice going against each other because on that defense, you got to remember, you had some elite level Elite level competitors out there, Dewey Lewis. Yo, man. Jimmy Lauer. Rosante Dunn. And none other led by none other Austin Tennessee. Right. So you got some real dudes at that point in time who was really balling. We had so much more fun in practice that the game day was smooth, smooth sailing. There we go. I think I've seen Larson way angrier in practices than I ever did in game because Tennessee oh, because Tennessee done caught a ball off a of tight end's fingertips and now he's running up the sideline high stepping in Larson's face <laughs> now we gotta do it. and now we gotta run extra four corners because Tennessee don't know how to chill yep and, and, and I, I'll give you one story from practice we're about midway through the season we're about 7-0 and and we're doing a good on good pressure on Tuesday and Billy Lewis our, our fifth year senior captain safety catches a pick after a seam ball tipped off uh, it was um, Daquan's hands Billy catches it Billy kicks that ball over the fence I haven't seen a receiver going a deep so fast that was the most intense almost fight I've ever seen bro that's hilarious but I mean you can't really be upset man I mean <laughs> I'm all like hey, hey Billy was a competitor we're all competitors so at that point we was just, we was just trying to make it happen for our side of the ball Absolutely, absolutely. And on top of that, I don't want to take that from Billy because we need that. We need that. Like, I need you to be able to turn that kind of monster on in times of crisis. So why would I take, why would I declaw you in a way? That don't make much sense to me. No, not at all. All right, so we got our Stevenson journey. There's one last aspect I want to touch on before we go. 
your two receivers, Preston Addo and Devin Salisbury. Again, two of the funnier people you ever meet in your life. Not only were they your receivers, they were also your roommates. Talk about the difference that the closeness that told the... <laughs> Talk about the difference that being that close to those two and compared to other receivers and what that brought you as far as chemistry-wise on the field. Look, I'll tell you what. Living with receivers, and not only those two, but Quan Ellison as well, living with three receivers is, it can be for some hard days after practice if guys aren't happy with their touches. You know I'm going to ask for a story. I know you was getting out of the shower and Devin was looking at you like, so I know you saw me on that screen. I know you saw me on that screen, Dan. Dan, I know. The only time that it was ever like a real argument was after we lost to Wilkes. Because down the stretch, I didn't play my best football, and we all knew it. So you get you get to the room, and it's like, yo, Dan, like, what's good? You, you Are you good, bro? Like, they're really questioning me, like, yo, like, what happened today? And it got to the point where... Well, well I will, I'll leave it unnamed, but two roommates took my bed, my bed mattress, threw it into the hallway, and locked the door. Wow. So, you can tell that we all wanted to win, and when things weren't going well, we brought it home with us. But that was how, that was how much we cared about the game and cared about the program. Well, did that help, did that help or hurt, though? Because I bet something, uh, and that is somewhat comfortable and nice, but I feel like that also led to a lot of accountability, too, because you know... You have to make your reads correctly every time, or else pressing when you play a Monopoly is going to bring that shit up. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, look, there have been times where I had to pay more for groceries, or they had to pay more for groceries. If uh, I think it helped, looking back on it, it helped. There were some, some nights where, like, yo, I hate my team next time. <laughs> but the accountability portion was actually there, and I, I think it helped us a ton. There we go. There we go. So, transitioning from our Stevenson career to Dan gets his master's degree and lands a coaching job. Not only does he land a coaching job, he lands a coaching job in the NFL. Not only does he land a coaching job in the NFL, he lands a coaching job with one of the premier coaches in the league in Andy Reid. And not only does he have the one of the league premier coaches in Andy Reid, premier offense coordinators in Eric Bieniemy, who we'll get to shortly, he is attached to the golden boy himself, Patrick Mahomes. Now, talk me through what was the interview process for getting on the Kansas City Chiefs coaching staff, and what is your official position? So, I'll, I'll take it twofold. So, in the process, I had talked to Coach Reed about a possibility for me coming out there just to visit Kansas City, see some of the people that I had known. Because, like I mentioned earlier, my dad had coached the Eagles in the late 90s through the 2010s. Uh-huh. So, Coach Reed has been a big factor in my life, and I've known him since I was basically like, since I was a toddler. Mm-hmm. So, so, he knows, he doesn't know Daniel Williams throwing a bunch of touchdowns, pitching. He knows little baby running around Lincoln Financial. Yes, he still calls me Danny to this day, because yeah. I'm still the little child he remembers back in the day. <laughs> my name is not Dan, I'm still looking Danny, so yes. Shoot, I bet we get that assistant title off your name, you'll be Daniel. <laughs> I hope so one day, but for now, I'll take it. Uh, but, so, Coach has known me for a while, and I think uh, my 
as I started to realize that I wanted to coach football, um, my dad kind of told me, he was like, look, the best way to do it is start at the top. We'll get you the name people you need to talk to, and we'll start with Coach Reed. We'll get you on the phone with Coach Reed, and we'll go from there. So I kind of just talked to Coach a lot about, hey, what's the best avenue to go to, and um, how can I best set myself up for the future? You know, not so much as like an interview, but just kind of a conversation. And that's where it kind of all started with Coach Reed. So did he extend the offer, or did you kind of, did y'all beat around the bush? Did you dance? Like, at what point was it, hey, would you like to join the Chiefs coaching staff? Uh, so it, it came in April of 2019, about a week and a half before Easter. Uh-huh. Uh, I, had just, just, I had just finished hooping with some friends down in the, down in the gym at Stevenson, got back, and Coach Reed called me. And at that point in time, I was like, yo, like, Coach never calls me. Like, it's usually texts or text to tell me, hey, I'm going to call you at this point in time. But he just called me that day. Absolutely. And he was like, how would you feel about joining the Kansas City Chiefs as a coaching intern? And I was like, coach, I would love nothing more. Like, that, that's amazing. I'm already overjoyed. And what year is and this? What year is this? This is, this is 2019. Which month? This is, this is important. People. This April, is April 2019. This is after we have seen the greatest debut season of a rookie of a quarterback we've ever seen. Yes. And now on your way back from the gym, sweaty and walking up that big ass hill at Pink, at Stevenson, you now receive the news that not only are you going to get to work with Patrick Mahomes. What was the first thing that came to your mind? I, I think it was kind of just just thankfulness, you know. Uh, you go through so much in college, you go as a person, go as a young adult, and to see it all possibly come to fruition with the job opportunity, I think for me it was just being thankful that, that God has blessed me with this opportunity. I was about to ask you, you a religious person at all? Yes, I am. So, because I'm one of those people, I'm not religious, religious, but I believe that everything happens for a reason, right? I believe that there's some higher power yes. up there that's orchestrating and puppet mastering this to make sure that everything goes smoothly. So, with you knowing uh, Coach Reed from such a young age, I feel like there's some type of outliers foreshadowing moment back then that maybe you don't even know that we'll find out part two whenever we do another one of these podcasts that really makes you look at it and go, I should have known from the get-go. Like, he took a special liking to me. Like, I paid attention more than the other kids, maybe. Something like that. Because I believe that... He must have took that into account. Like, all right, Stuart, it's, it's Danny, it's the Williams kid. If I'm bringing him on, what am I getting? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And I would say that, because I had a talk with Sammy Watkins last season. So, we had another quarterback on the roster whose dad was a coach with Coach Reed, Kyle Shermer. He played at Vanderbilt. Dad is Coach Pat Shermer. And Kyle is you Anthony, Anthony, you said Shermer or Sherman? Shermer. Okay. Kyle Shermer. Okay. You're not talking about the quarterback. Okay. No, we're talking, we're talking about Kyle Sherman. So, Anthony Sherman is the fullback. Yeah. I, 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 I knew exactly where you were going with it. I know. So, I'm talking with Sammy, talking with Kyle, and Sammy's like, yo, you guys got to know, like, there's, there's, a, there's a high power in this. Like, you guys didn't just land here together at the same time when Coach Reed was coaching when he knew y'all when I was little kids. Like, you've been here before. This is not just about us. Like, there's more to life than just what you see right here. Very so, much. There has to be. Or else, what's the yeah. point? Yeah, without a doubt. Or else, what's the point? That's kind of how I've always viewed this. Like, if this is all that life is, the way we're existing as humans, that's very disappointing. Mm-hmm. That's insanely disappointing. And quite frankly, that's not a reality I want to take a part in. But, um... 
But um, where was I in my line of questioning? So, we're going into your rookie year as a head coach. Yeah. At what point are you moved into Kansas City? So I moved out here uh, about a week, a couple days before Easter. Got here, I think, about April 14th. So you're there, and minicamp start when? Uh, we started, we had started OTA at that point in time, and we began actual, like, full practices about two weeks later. A week before the draft, I got there. Okay. Did you get a chance to sit in on the draft room at all either last year or this year? Uh, not this year with the whole COVID-19 and that's been out of the building. And last year I was kind of fresh in the building, so more was just kind of getting a sense of acclimation with the people who I was working with. All right, perfect. So I asked because the Chiefs, they have later draft picks, but they know how to maneuver and grab a guy. I really like a guy y'all got this year, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Because we have a whole, you know, Super Bowl season we have to get through and whatnot. Nothing too big that we have to uh, yeah. tackle at some point. But, um, so your rookie year as a coach, you know, we watch NFL films, we watch Hard Knocks, and we see how they treat the rookie players. How they treat the rookie coach. Uh, how many chick uh, did you have to pick up? Did you have to pick up Andy Reid's Hawaiian shirts from the dry cleaning? Like, what was it? Nothing, nothing that drastic, you know. Co- coach is real big on the BS family. And uh, not much hating, if you will, but I would say from a rookie player to rookie coach, a lot of it is the learning curve of being kind of on your own, being a full adult, and trying to handle this new business that is the NFL. So who was, give me one player and one coach that kind of took you under the wing, that was kind of like, I'm not going to let this guy fail, I took a liking to you, so now you're my guy. Obviously, I spent a lot of time with Coach Bianami last season being an offensive intern. But another coach on the staff who was very helpful was Greg Lewis. And he was our receivers coach last year. Uh-huh. And he, he was getting some offensive coordinator buzz this offseason, wasn't he? I, I did hear that. I did read a couple articles about him being a possible candidate for a couple different jobs. Yeah, all I heard was rumors. I don't, want to, I don't want to put you in any awkward position. We're just rumors I heard. Yeah. Yeah, just a couple of rumors. But we're, we're, we're happy to have Greg back. And Greg is one of the best receiver coaches I've seen especially with all different talent, talented individuals he has to coach in that room. So I think Greg does a great job. But for me last year, Greg helped out a ton, kind of showing me the ropes of how we get things done here with the Chiefs and how Coach Reed likes things so I can become a person of value added in building. So what was that value? Because I feel like that's very important whenever you're new to a system is finding out, okay, how can I add to this? Especially something where that offense was humming and was offsides away from going to the Super Bowl and winning a year ago. So you're coming in thinking, well, what the hell can I add? Like, what can I do that, what little contribution can I make that will possibly send my team over the top? What did you decide that was? You know, I, I think my biggest contribution last year was just trying to do anything I could to help off as a coordinator be the best he could be. So if there was any different little projects of looking at a different way to tighten and blitz us or a way a team might play their coverage here and there or their third down looks, anything I could do to help him help him be as sharp as he can be, that, that's what I can do to help out because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm an intern. I understand my role is not as big as I was a coordinator, but if I can help offense coordinator be at his best, then I can do that at 100%. And again, that's back to being an asset because I believe Eric Vianney to be the best offense coordinator in football. And what I, what I say, I base this off of, Andy Reid to me has the best current coaching tree in the NFL. And that's why it's so pertinent that you're working with him because you look at all the history of the great coaches. They coach with great coaches. They start with the all-time great coaches. And Andy Reid, 
regardless of whether he'll win a Super Bowl this year or not, is an all-time great coach. I feel him and Mike D'Antoni are in that same class where a ring changes their legacy altogether. Like, Andy Reid is finally going to get his spot, and if he gets another ring, he's going to end up on on football Mount Rushmore if he keeps this up with his quarterback. And it doesn't look like he's slowing up anytime soon. Now, did did you compare to Mike D'Antoni? Yes, I did. You know, I would have never looked at it that way, but that's a great analogy. They're the same, they're the same situation. It's yeah. literally the same situation. Yeah. They're both acknowledged offensive geniuses. They've taken players, whether it's Alex Smith with uh, whether it's Alex Smith with Andy Reid, or it's Steve Nash with Mike D'Antoni. They have taken players and maximized their talents in ways that their system only allows them to do. In fact, I'll even say I'm not sure Donovan McNabb's career goes the same way if he doesn't have a. Andy Reid is a coach. Granted, he didn't have not a, he switched from Andy Reid later in his career, so we didn't get a fair assessment. But I think and Donovan now would be the first one to tell you that coming out of Syracuse, the NFL reads weren't the same. A little bit quicker, it helps to get someone who's coached with I don't know Brett Favre <laughs> to be on your side to be on your sideline and be like, all right, man, so we gonna do this, we gonna do yeah. that, relax. Yeah, but in, 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 in that same breath. I think you can look at a guy like Patrick, and yes, he, he is talented and he puts the work in, but he's going to benefit from the failure that Donovan and Coach Reed had together because Absolutely. they coach a better coach. Absolutely. That's what uh, I kind of say about Patrick Mahomes. He's kind of the perfect combination of every quarterback Coach Reed has had. Times like 10. Like, we got McNabb's uh, kind of cunning, kind of craftiness playmaking. We got Alex Smith's decision-making. And then he's able to get out the pocket. He has a little bit of that Kevin Cobb escape, make it uh, do on the run. Obviously, the Michael Bick uh, later in his career athleticism and arm talent. So I think this is kind of his like Voltron of all his quarterbacks past. That now and and and, 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 and then the super cannon from Best absolutely. Oh yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, the absolute the, the freaking uh, RP fifteen on his <laughs> RPG on his arm. <laughs> That I love when they ask him the stupid question and interviews to how far can you throw a football and he just giggles every time. <laughs> Cause I really know I know he doesn't know the actual answer. So he's he just gives us a BS answer every time. He's like, Yeah, I threw five thousand yards on my knees one time. I mean for Pat, I'm sure the number probably grows a yard every week. <laughs> no bull. So before we get to Pat, I wanna get it I wanna get into more of Eric Bianami. So Obviously, the head coaching thing in the NFL, Eric Bannon not getting a job was a big deal. For me, it was a big deal because my interest is making sure my brother Danny wins because a head coach as fast as possible. <laughs> and the fastest way to do and that's not going to help if the offense coordinator is still there. Because either he takes you with him or you move up in the ranks because you no longer have an offense coordinator. <laughs> so I saw it as a win-win for my brother. So that's why I was upset. I know you're just happy to have your guy with you still. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, uh, EB, my dad coached EB in 1999 in Philadelphia, Don, so Coach Gellany has known my family and myself a long time, so to be working with him has been a truly a pleasure, and he's been a, a confidant of mine and a guy I can look to for leadership and for knowledge, and uh, I'm, I'm truly thankful to have him back. Obviously, I wish he had got an opportunity to be a head coach somewhere, but I'm just as glad to be working with him again this season. There we go. There we go. So, are you mainly charting plays on the surface, uh, up top in the booth? Is that kind of like your game day role? A lot of what I did last year was in the booth to kind of uh, 
helping with the starting of plays and different things like that. I don't know exactly what they will be this year, being that I'm in a different role now. So what is the, what's the official title? What's the, the official title this year? Assistant, assistant to the head coach. Okay. So you're going to be working and, more directly with Andy than Eric this than uh, Mr. Uh, Coach Bianami this year. Yes, sir. Okay. What do you think is the greatest difference between their coaching style? Because I don't see Eric Bianami ever like ripping Patrick Mahomes a new one on a sideline. Not that he gives him much to rip, but it's like you don't really see that. But I feel like behind closed doors, Andy probably closes the door and lets Patrick have it a little bit. You know, I think the biggest thing in the way they coach is EB is a very passionate coach. You, you see his passion on his sleeve on game days. Uh-huh. And part of that is coming from his, from his days as a running back. You know, you, you kind of you run with that passion, you run with that fire, you hate the defense. Absolutely. And he took it into coaching, and I think it's helped make him a great coach. Coach Reed is more subdued and more laser-focused. But best belief, he can rip you with the best of them. Oh, yeah. We've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen Big Red go rap. We see, we've seen that a couple mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've teased it long enough. I don't really know how many ways I could access outside of, bro, what is it like to coach Patrick, to coach Patrick Mahomes? Like, what is it like? Like, what, there's no other way I can phrase that other than what is it like to possibly coach the best football player of our generation? So, I won't say I coach Patrick because me and Patrick... On a coaching staff with Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yes, but... I think for me, it's kind of coming in last last spring, past uh, about six months old. So you come in, you, I saw his his second year as a quarterback. I saw what he did in his MVP season, and I'm thinking, wow, well, okay, I get to be around this guy. I want to see how he prepares, what makes him tick, those kind of things. But with Pat, he has all of this, the organization, the city, all of it is on his shoulders. But you never notice the way he acts in the building with the guys. He, he's very down to earth. Very joking, very kind to others. He's a one of he's a one of the guys type quarterback. Yes, but he's only twenty four. That's the craziest part to me. Or twenty five now. He'll be twenty five this year. He's only twenty five. So yeah, he's doing all this, but at such a young age, it's just truly magnificent to see a young guy be able to catapult himself like that into the hearts of many, and on Sundays go out there and be great. It's it, it's truly a blessing to see and. I think for me and Pat and all this shit, I'm, I'm just blessed to have been around him and see how he prepares throughout the week, how he comes in and studies the defense and what different things he's looking at that I know I can take with me when I go to co-coach quarterbacks one day um, because obviously he's one, of the, he's one of the best to do it already. He's on 25. There we go. I'm about to say a lot of people have him. I think part of my take had him as the 10th best quarterback of all time. And I wasn't even that upset about it. I'm like, okay. If he retires now, he already has had a better uh, accolade career than Dan Marino. If he never throws, a, if he never throws another football, <laughs> he has already surpassed Dan Marino, and he has matched Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers in the same level of accomplishments in three years. Yeah. So the sky really is the limit on this guy. So to say he's going to be in the pantheons of the best ever, barring any dramatic injury, knock on wood, if you're with me, this man. It's going to take over the world. And I hope you have a front row seat for all of it, man. I really do. You, you, you and me both, brother. You and me both. I hope one day they're doing the E60 of Pat talking about how his quarterback coach is a similar age to him. He came up in the system, and they got the respect. And I see you with the fully developed beard talking to, uh, what's her name, uh, Josina Anderson about Pat's arm. And talk about relating his pictures and all that there. 
being the son of your son of a coach, she's the son of an athlete. There's a lot going on here, Danny. There's a lot going on here. So, Richard. Yeah, there is a lot going on. And it's a possibility that who knows what could happen down the road. I'm just thankful to be where I'm at right now. There we go. There we go. All right. So, we got to talk about it now. You experience literal once in a generation level luck. I told you before, after you came off your ACL tear and you went into the MVP season, I was like, bro, God has a special blessing for you. Because from the recovery, and I saw the work. You know, like we saw you in Jamie and them's office training and getting your knee back together. We saw you after surgery day with your moms and all that there. So to watch you get the MVP season from barely making it around the room to the mini fridge to now running around the field on Albright for touchdowns, it was beautiful to watch. With this, watching from injured Dan on the sideline, coaching up with Bradley Harmon. How is Bradley Harmon? I haven't seen Harmon in a while. Is he good? I, I, talked, I talked to Brad a couple of years back. He's doing well. He did graduate from Salisbury University. So okay. proud of him for that. But perfect, he's perfect, well. perfect. He's being, he's being successful. He's being prosperous. So, yes. to watch you go from that to the picture that I'm going to put in right now, of my brother Dan Williams giving the Super Bowl trophy a kiss. Talk to me about the journey. About from the beginning of that season to watching your quarterback go down to just the journey of a Super Bowl season. 19 games. Tell me what that's about. You know, I, I think the journey is really what you what you look at it as. You don't look at it as a singular accomplishment as, oh, we won the Super Bowl. It, to me, is we were the best team in 2019. And the crowning achievement obviously is that Super Bowl championship in Miami. But when you look at the entire season and the emotions that went through that going down in Denver and the defense coming up huge down the stretch in November and December. And I think three, Pat going down was uh, the best thing to happen for that defense. It, 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 honestly, I, I wouldn't say that it was a crazy, crazy situation. You go down on a sneak, you don't see it happen very often. But... The defense picked it up tremendously. And, and then they never dropped it for the rest of the season. Great defense. <laughs> exactly, they never dropped it. But we knew they were going to be a great defense. But they figured it out like that. And they picked it up and they were rolling the rest of the season. I look at that because I think we've discussed my standing of Tyran Matthew. I think me and you, I thought all the character issue stuff they were talking about him coming out of college was ridiculous. The man likes some weed every now and again. Mm-hmm. He scores touchdowns in every phase of the game. Let him have a J, goddammit. He deserves it. Dropped him like a third-round draft pick. I was praying to God Bill Belichick could look the other way on the whole drug test. We took Josh Gordon, for God's sake. And we let Tyron Matthew. We could have Tyron Matthew and Devin McCourty in the same defensive backfield, but no, we had morals. <laughs> we had to have morals. <laughs> we had to. Spygate, completely fine. Marijuana, eh. <laughs> eh. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. So, talk to me about Tyron Matthews' leadership style, because that's one of the players I legit admire in the NFL. I love Tyron Matthew. He's everything I want young Tyron, players to be. Tyron is one of the best guys that I can think of that I've ever had the chance to work with. And touched on the idea of going through failure and different situations that help you grow as a person. I think for Tyron, the situation that he dealt with at LSU and also getting created in Arizona helped create him to be this player he is today. And... I, I want nothing more for Tyrant to continue to have that kind of success because of how good of a person he is. That and he's one of those people. 
Him and Teddy Bridgewater in that class where you always see them on Twitter dropping their jewel off. Like, these NFL yes. players are yes. living a very different life than we are. They're multi-millionaires. They got acres of land. They don't have to come down among us common folk and drop us with a jewel from their life. But him and Teddy Bridgewater, two people I see, that always come down with a nice little... Actually, Pat, too, now that I think about it, because he'll go every time it's like combine day and someone gets small hands or if it's recruiting and someone gets a low number, Pat will just show where he was in high school and was like, hey, man, you'll be all right. And I, I don't think he realizes how much that means to these kids, but I could imagine Pat Mahomes telling me I'm going to be okay. You can't tell me shit after that. You can't tell me a word. You can't tell me a word. <laughs> like, hey, man, Pat said I'm going to be all right. Get up, get up off me. <laughs> get up off me. So, my bad. I cut off the Super Bowl journey. So, let's talk about... You're good. You're good. Let's, let's fast forward to the, uh, to the first Patriots game. Did something seem off with that team to you? Was the dis there was a dysfunction apparent when you're playing them on the field, or was it one of those? If you know, you know. If you don't, you know, it's just a regular game. You know, you, you know, you're going to Gillette, and you, you see the you see the banners up top, and you see Tom Brady come out the tunnel, and you see the Belichick, and you know that it's it's the Patriots. You know it's going to be an important game. You know they're going to be fundamentally sound and do everything they're supposed to be doing. So I think when you go into a place like that, you have to be hitting on all cylinders and we were that day I thought our, our guys played hard um, and we came out victorious and I was just proud of the effort that our guys showed in not backing down and being ready for the challenge because it wasn't the prettiest win which is what I liked about it the most for you guys as team I like teams that could win a variety of different ways you're going against a defensive yeah. team where the offense barely struggled to get past the 50 from time to time you're not going to score 30 yeah. points you may get to 24 are you going to be able to win if you're scoring 24 points? I think that's very important for teams that you guys were able to show that ability. My yeah, thing was, I think our defense played phenomenal that day. Oh, yeah, two, ridiculously two picks, awesome. or a pick from Brashad Gruen and a, a late stopper in the end zone. And I, I think our up front, they got after it. So I was really proud of the defense that day. They, they really showed their true colors and who they really are. There we go. There we go. And that's back to the whole when they're picking it up back together part. So let's go to the playoffs. Dan, you were a half a football away from your season being over and us splitting your ticket back to Maryland so you can cry on the couch with us because your boy, Deshaun Watson, came into Arrowhead because we're not going to act like you're not a Deshaun Watson stand just because you got Golden McDonough pants on your team. Like, there's two quarterbacks you absolutely stand for, and I hope you still stand by those flags, and it's Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. And I hope you, I hope you still bring up how much you adore those quarterbacks. I kept it in the week, obviously, because we're, go, we're going against Deshaun that week. Oh, yeah, during the week, yeah, he's the enemy. You guys know how I feel about Deshaun and Russ. They're, they're two of the top five guys, in, in my, my opinion, Likewise. in the league. And, uh, and that day was wild because it happened so fast. <laughs> it truly happened so fast. Hey, yeah, man. Like, I just and, remember watching the game. Everyone was like, dang, the Chiefs are done. It's fast. I'm like, they score in like 10 seconds. We'll be fine. And then you orchestrate the best comeback I've seen. And I want you to think about what I'm saying here. The best comeback I have ever seen from a football team. Because it happened so fast. <laughs> it was, like, if you like to get a beer, if you got up to go get the pizza from the store you ordered to carry out instead of delivery, you missed the comeback. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it literally was like, we got in the game. 
they had the touchdown to I think it was Kendall or uh, uh, not Kendall Fuller, um, Kyle Fuller down the uh, down the hash, and just like that, it's like we're down twenty-four zero. It's like wow, like did we really did the journey was the journey gonna end like this? That's how you kind of look at it. You get to that point, you're like wow, is it gonna end like this? Right. It's like all right, we got a lot, we got a lot of time on the, a lot of time on the clock. Let's let's put a drive together here. Then drive happens. You get the the kickoff return fumble. Then you get the fourth down stop. It's like okay, like we're back in this thing. Like like we go, we got a juice going again. And then the second half rolls around, and it's a tie ball game. We'll come out of halftime, and you're like, all right, well, we got this. Like we can do this. Like we believe in our guys. We've been believe in the system. And you go out there and put the actions to match your words you're talking, and then you can you get a comeback like that. So in the time, so what's the play call? Let's get a little inside football here. What's the play calling mindset like that? Is it full blown? Okay. One play at a time. We have the deep checks here, but take the check down. Let's not make mistakes. Mistake-free football. Or is it, belt to the metal, let's go. We have a lot of ground to cover. What are we doing? I think it's a, it's a mixture of both. But more than anything, I think it's staying true to who you are. When you're back against the wall like that, you got to be what you are. And we have been taking aggressive shots all season. We continue to do that the next couple weeks after that. But in that mindset, we said, hey, keep on our offense. Trusting them, believing each other, and we're gonna be fine. There we go. There we go. All right. So, next game, a man by the name of King Henry came to town, and I told. I remember. I think it was either me or Dave Miles cracked the joke in the group chat. Now, I hope you guys are willing to do that comeback with about half the time you had the week before. However, <laughs> if I remember correctly, didn't y'all win time of possession that game against the Titans? Yes. So, yes, talk to me about. So, was it a switch in the game plan of? We know they're going to go ball control, so we have to go ball control, or is it just that's how the game shifted out? The game shifted out that way, um, and I, I think our, our intensity the first time helped us be best prepared for what it was going to be like the second that you say that. That was one of my favorite games of the year, and, by the way. Yes, yes. Pat, Pat's first game back in Tennessee, we were rolling, playing well, and then we didn't get the job done. They played better in four quarters than we did. So I think you kind of know going into the championship game when the stakes are even at a much higher position than they were in November. I think you know it's going to be four quarters of grind football and you're going to have to be aggressive and still be yourself, but know you're going against them. I think that prepared us greatly for that championship game. There we go. I was going to say, so we'll fast forward a little bit because we're running low on time, but 10 minutes away from being, from 10 minutes left in the Super Bowl, 10 points down, there's... Niners defense is celebrating in the end zone. Is the yep. feeling of does it end like this come back again? I think at that point you have you have seen yourself rise up and fight back so many times. You're kind of just wondering who's going to be the one to pick us up. Is it going to be Pat? Is it going to be Tyreek? Is it going to be a defensive player? Who, who's going to do it? Because we believe in our guys. We believe in our system. We just need to see it happen. You have that one play to do it. Absolutely. And what do you think was... Because I definitely wasn't the Tyree Sheridan for team that started the drive going. Or was it? Because I feel like there was a play before that that kind of got positive momentum going, and then it was a stop when we were at 3rd and 15, and then the Tyree... We cut. had the positive momentum, and then, then the... I think we had a first down, and then there was the two downs prior to the 3rd and 15. Right. But I think this is a testament to that play right there, a testament to not only Coach Trechton and his players, but the players trusting in coach. 
They believe in the system. They know what we're trying to do here as a team and as an offense. And you see, you see it all come together like that. It's truly, truly magnificent. There we go. There we go. So talk to me about what's the feeling going through your head as you're watching Damian Williams run down the sideline? And you kind of know, like, we're in a great position right here. We're in a great position. Your goal in that drive is to hold on to the ball, hopefully not give them the ball at all back, you know, win a game off four, and that's fine. But as you see him run down the sideline, you kind of get the hairs on the, back, on the back of your neck stand up. You're like, all right, bro, like, this can really happen. Like, this situation could be real. Who was the first person you found when the clock hit zero in your family? Uh, first person I ended up finding was my, I believe it was my brother, my, my brother Donnie. My brother Donnie, he was the closest one to me. And um, as, as the, they kind of worked off the field, the families couldn't get down to the field yet. I kind of just called to them and got in my chest. And I was just so proud that they got to be there to experience that with me. And I was just, just thankful. It was, it was a crazy experience once the confetti starts dropping and, you, you kind of are in awe of the entire situation. Like, wow, this is really here. Um, but I can remember vividly looking across the field at uh, one of our coaches, Connor Embry. His dad is the coach of the Niners. And I saw his dad consoling him. And I think in those moments you see that kind of deal where the son is so upset because his dad got a chance to score a Super Bowl right there and didn't get it, but he did. But he was upset. The, young, the son was upset. The dad was hugging him and consoling him. I think in moments like that, it's like, wow, like, there's another side of the situation, not just what I'm going through right now. Absolutely. It's really one of those bigger-than-football moments right there. Like, yeah, yeah. Thanksgivings are going to be real awkward for the rest of that guy's life. Like, I think that's, <laughs> that's the type of shit I think about. Like, the Harbaugh brothers, John Harbaugh walks around with, like, the good khakis on Thanksgiving. Like, he's coming through at the table letting Jim know that I got this rip off you. And I feel like that dynamic does exist. Uh, so with that, we're going to close uh, talking about the parade and your dad. But first I want to talk about your dad. Okay. Is your dad a little upset that he coached for 20-odd years and didn't get a Super Bowl ring and his son coached for six months and got one? <laughs> is he a little, is he a little mad? Is, is he a little upset? No, my, my, my dad is more of a religious person than I am. I, he... he he truly is thankful and blessed that we had the opportunity. And he got to go to the Super Bowl in Minnesota, where the, where the Eagles beat your Patriots. So he got to be there and celebrate that. And he got a Super Bowl ring from that that that. that. Why you got to bring up Why you got to bring up all stuff? Why you got to bring up all stuff, man? <laughs> we were having such a good conversation. The podcast almost over. We couldn't even have to mention that. I mentioned y'all beating. I mentioned y'all beating the Patriots in the regular season. That wasn't good enough. Y'all, y'all, you just had to bring up the Super Bowl. <laughs> you just had to bring it up. I right, done. Okay, continue. Continue. But my dad is thankful, and I think we had talked about it, he and I did on that Sunday, and before the game, of kind of just the heartache that I saw my parents, well, my dad go through individually, of never getting an opportunity when he was in 2000 to 2004. Those kind of five-year run of Donovan being at his elite level, and never getting the ring out of those times. And seeing how my dad handled those those days where, hey, we got to go back to work. we got to figure it out. And there was never a sense of distraughtness or te- tears that came. It was just, hey, next day, or next night up, let's go, let's go, next, next opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think going into the Super Bowl, I think there was no fear, at least in my head, that we could lose because, hey, even if we even if the game doesn't go our way, let's still go on tomorrow. We're going to be okay. Can we still healthy? Like, that's all that mattered at that point in time. COVID hadn't really taken over the world yet. Man, but, what's... 
The Super Bowl seems so long ago, bro. The Super Bowl seems like a year ago compared to how different life is right now. Alright, we're gonna close talking about uh, we're gonna close talking about one of my favorite traditions in sports, the championship parade. I think it was a direct quote from you. Uh, I've never been more sure that something was fake in my entire life. <laughs> break it down. Yes. Break it down yes. to me. What was the sights during that day? What float were you on? Who was on the float? Who threw the beer? Who had the nicest catch? Take me through it. Okay, so I hate to do this to you, but I have to rewind two years back. I have to go for it. I I sat in the stands on I do believe what was Broad Street and watched the Eagles parade. While my parents were on a float. So, thank you for them, and happy for them. But I was, I was a little tight that I could get on a float with them. I remember so, coming back in that, that conversation later, with us. Yeah. Fast forward two years later, and I'm like, dang, I'm on this float. Like, this is really, like, what my parents saw, what my dad got to see. And the city of Kansas City was so gracious and so happy to have that team. So, I'm on the second to last bus. The bus behind me is Coach Reed, Pat, uh... Fisher, Travis Kelsey, a couple other guys. I'm on the bus in front of them with the rest of the tight end and our athletic training staff and a couple other coaches. So as you kind of see the different things going on, you see the beer everywhere, you see the fans all cheering, you see the music blasting. It's truly a surreal experience, and those videos I would never delete from my mind. There we go. There we go. And then you get guys throwing stuff from the, from the stands to us. Like, I had one guy throw a ball with a pen tape to it to have signed so that one of our tight ends took it and we're talking like I'm talking like a good 20 yard throw on a second story of a building and diving right in the chest with the autograph football doing nice. something up and down and it's just the scenes like that that you get to see and never forget about is the fans and how much it's really meant to them there we go and that's the first Super Bowl in KC history so you're part of something that's going to yep. last forever mm-hmm they're a part of something that's going to last forever. So thank you. Super Bowl in 1969, and then 50 years later. There we go. We ended up winning it all. And hopefully many more, man, because I'm going to your next Super Bowl. Best believe. And then if you don't win, I'm never going to another one of your games again. <laughs> because you're not going to That would be your fault. That would be your fault. Oh, I'm going to personally blame myself if, they, if you lose the one game I pull up on. Trust me. You will never. If you lose that game, you'll never have to worry about seeing me at a game again. Unless you're, unless you're taking, unless you're taking me, unless you're taking that year and you need me to, you know. I got you, boss. All right, there we go. So that's a wrap for this week's episode of Experiment Three Hundred One. Beloved brother Daniel, thank you so much for joining me and being as open as you could be, giving us in the background of. Two of my favorite people in the league with Patrick Mahomes, Eric Bieniemy, and of course the Andy Reid stories. I wish you nothing but continued success, health. Hope your family's okay during the COVID. And you know, wish Cam, you know. I, I appreciate you. Uh, it was truly a blessing to come on here, and um, I look forward to the next opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm gonna take my man Dave Stein. One was a little outro here. Fair Dan Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kevin Pierce. This has been Experiment 301. Thanks for listening.